This week is Parsha Bahalotcha, and we're going to learn it in a very different fashion than we've learned up to now. That, for those of you who have been here for many of the classes, sometimes we learn one letter, one word, one pasik, one concept. Other times we learn much more broadly the whole Parsha. And something that we've touched on many, many, many times is structure. Many times we've uh, based classes around different structures that appear in the Parsha, in the words, in the concepts. And we've, we've used the Hebrew letters as a structure, we've used the spirit as the structures, uh, many different ideas. So, it's a few years ago that Rob Ginsburg did an entire year series on the Parshiot according to the following structure that since each Parsha is broken up into seven Aliyot, that anything that has to do with seven is going to relate to the seven lower spirit. And for an entire year, he went through, uh, I, mean, I don't think there was every class because of Chagim and everything, but he went to each Parsha and he showed how the first Aliyah related to Chesed. The second aliyah is Gevura, third aliyah is Tiferet, fourth aliyah is Netzach, fifth aliyah is Hod, sixth aliyah is Yesod, and the seventh is Malchut. And sometimes uh, it was a stretch. But the vast amount of times, it was like, wow, this is unbelievable. It really, there really is a, a structure here. So, uh, when I was preparing, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything new. I don't like giving the same uh, class twice, even if no one even remembers it, even if it was it's different people. I always like to, um, for my own self, call my own, my own uh, self-esteem, kavod, and sanity. <laughs> I always try to find something new. And I mean, this Parsha is like so uh, full of, of unbelievable things but nonetheless just all the preparation I did it was for me it was just no matter how deep it was it was just okay I learned that before I said that before and then I came uh, across um, uh, the the sheets not even in a book form it's just in sheets and so I decided that's how we're going to do it tonight. We're going to go through the Parsha, and we're going to learn how the seven Aliyot relate to the seven Spirit. 
And, uh, but the important thing is, is Rav Ginsburg did this to the entire Chumash, not just this Parsha. It just happened that this is the Parsha that called out to me to do it this way. He did teach Parsha individually. Yeah, each Parsha. And he went through each Aliyah and showed why it was Chassid, why it was Gabor. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Stuff in the title of the Parsha, Ba'alutcha. It's the same word, no? Ba'alut, like Aliyah. Oh, oh, okay, 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 yes, from the same root, absolutely, same root. Okay, so the first aliyah is about the lighting of the menorah, and it begins with the consecration of the Levim to serve in the Mishkan, and that spills over into the second aliyah. So, since we're doing it according to the seven lower spherot, so the first aliyah is chesed. So the explanation here is that we're told that in the seven days of creation, the seven days of creation also follow this exact same pattern. And this is a, a well-known idea, that the first day of creation is uh, parallel to Chesed. The second day is Gevura. And many, many Torahs have been brought down showing how the, how the connections work. For our purposes, the, the beginning of this parsha is the command for Aaron to light the menorah. Up to now, we've had a command to make the menorah and where to place the menorah. But this is the instruction to Aaron, as it were, when and how to light the menorah. As an aside, uh, this I do remember saying last year, but a very, very important understanding is that there are five books to the Chumash. But in this week's Parsha, there is two sentences by Ibn Sa'aron, Vyomer Moshe, etc. that come out to be uh, 85 letters. And the Gomorrah has this amazing understanding, uh, well actually based on the text because in bracketing these two sentences are two inverted nuns that almost look like parentheses. There's no other instance of this in, in the Chumash. That you have these two letters that bracket these two verses. And because of that, the Gomorrah says that this is a book in of itself. It's one of the books of the Chumash. But if it's one of the books in the Chumash, then there can't be five. So the Gomorrah actually darshans that there's really seven books. It's not really called the Chumash, it's called the, uh, I don't know, <laughs> the Shvi'i, the, the Shvi'i, whatever. Because what happens is the book of Bamidbar now gets divided into three books. The part of Bamidbar up to the parentheses, the part of Bamidbar that follows the parentheses, and these two sentences. 
And it's actually a halachic um, concept because the, it, it comes in, in Masechet Shabbos. And why does the whole thing come up at all? It's in the middle of a discussion if there's a fire in a house on Shabbos, which, if any, books can be taken out of the house? And that, so it's discussed that if there is a scroll that has 85 letters, meaning it could be a scroll with just um, a part of uh, one of the Tehillim or whatever, if it's a scroll that has 85 letters, you can save it. You're allowed to take it out. Where, where do they come up with this? Ah, because they, there are these two sentences in the Torah that have 85 letters, and they're considered a book in of itself. And that's where the whole uh, drusha comes. So the only reason I'm, I'm mentioning this is we'll, we'll get back to this, is that Rob Ginsburg gives over a another understanding of dividing the Chumash into three parts. Not to say there are three books, but he explains thematically we can understand the Chumash being three sections. The first section is from Bereshit to Parsha Truma, not counting, up to Parsha Truma. This is the story of the creation of the world, the formation of the Jewish people, how we became a people by going down to Egypt, how we left Egypt and were saved and received, and received the Torah and the mitzvot. That's section one. Section two, the overriding theme is the Mishkan. Even though there's a few parshas that diverge from that, the, I'll say this, the Mishkan and the service in the Mishkan. Now there's from Parsha Truma, there's five more parshas to the end of Breshi, they all have to do with the Mishkan. And it's almost exclusively, except that the golden calf comes in the middle of Parsha Kitisa. But other than that, five straight Parshas in the Mishkan, then you have the whole book of Vayikra about what happens in the Mishkan. Now you have a few exceptions. You have Kedoshim, you have Bechukotai, and you have Bahar. But still, almost the whole book of Vayikra is about the Mishkan and the service in the Mishkan, and the book of Bamidbar. Also, each of the first three parshas up to right here. Up to this parsha. This parsha closes that whole theme of the Mishkan. You'll see, starting next week, the Mishkan basically is not the central focus anymore. The rest of the book of Bamidbar is about all kinds of incidences and escapades and mishaps in the Midbar. And the Book of Devarim is a, a, a recap, a synopsis of the whole, the whole Torah up to then. 
So it's very interesting to note that that a full third of the Torah is involved with the Mishkan and the Avoda in the Mishkan. And this week's parsha closes closes out. Okay, so back to that was all this a couple of interesting asides here. So back to the beginning of this parsha having to do with Chesed and that the first the, the seven days of creation also correspond to the seven Sfirot. The first day of creation the main theme main other than the, the fact that there was a creation at all is light. Light um, is pretty much the central focus of the first day of creation. And that represents chesed. In other words, God's chesed to the world is, number one, is that He creates the world, and that He shines His light into the world. So here we have in the first Aliyah, the idea of our own lighting the menorah. And here the menorah is parallel to Chesed, which is parallel to the first day of creation. And in fact, we're told that in the menorah, the menorah is one of a handful of, of things or ideas that we're told that the infinite light of the first day, which was then taken away, and then the question is, well, it was hidden. And the question is, well, where is it hidden? So a few answers are given. One is in the menorah that the menorah represents the infinite light of the first day of creation and that's all about chesed. I remember there's a Rashi here on, on the third Pasuk where it says Vyas Kain Aaron as God commands Aaron that he should light the candles and then it says Vyas Kain Aaron and Aaron did it exactly like he was commanded by exactly like God commanded Moshe so Rashi says just a few words this is to tell us the uh, praise of Aaron that he didn't change any of the instructions he did exactly as he was commanded so you look at this Rashi and like what, what is he adding here I mean that that's exactly what Vyas Kane Aaron means. He did he did and it even it even repeats it. Ka Hashem and Moshe. Just like God commanded Moshe, that's what Aaron does. You would think, like, why does Rashi have to say anything? I mean that's like Pshat Shabish Pshat. It's like it doesn't even need an explanation. But I remember in t- 
entire Shabbos is that Reb Shlomo would darshan this Rashi and bring a, a score of Hasidic Rebbe's on different takes on what what it means that uh, this is praising Aron Shaloshina that he didn't change. And of course he would, you know, all kinds of Hasidic stories on the idea of of not changing, of not letting peer pressure overwhelm you, not being wishy-washy, um, Loshina, having like a, a, a middle path, being strong. Now what's just as interesting is I remember whole Shabbos that Reb Shlomo would teach exactly the opposite. How praiseworthy it is to change and not be stuck to any form or way or uh, even concept of God. Reb Sadi Gaon uh, it's, a, it's a whole story, but um, that if, and the Kosker picked up in this like 800 years after Zadik Gaon, is if my concept of God today is what it was yesterday, that's called idol worship. Because I had this concept and it became a molten image. Like that's, that's what I conceive of God and that's now what it is. It's now set in stone. So, so this is a perfect example of Elo Elo Elohim Chaim. That you can talk uh, talk a whole Shabbos about the praise of not changing, and you can talk a whole Shabbos about the praise of changing. Right? I'm sorry, you want to say that? Yeah, I just want to say that this doesn't seem like this was about his con- concept so much. I mean, like his. His light in the menorah is tikkun for, for like having thrown the gold in the fire with no kavana, and the golden calf comes out. So I mean, at this point, doing what he's told to do uh, you know, with kavana, lighting every day, uh-huh. bringing the light instead. You know, of, of you know, Dafka Moshe had the kavana. He didn't know how to make the menorah, but he had the kavana. When he threw the gold into the fire, the menorah came out. So he has to light it every day. And remember. I mean, it's, it's that's a so very much, good connection. It's not so much his concept about what a shem is. It's like bringing bring the light. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. That, I mean, that's a whole other point, but it's very well taken. Very well taken. Okay. So, just to recap, the, the idea of light and 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 chesed and Aaron is called ish chesed. The kohanim are called Chesed. The second Aliyah, and I told you it already starts in the first Aliyah, is um, consecrating the Levim. And it, it goes through very detailed of what had to happen. They had to uh, shave all of their hair and they had to um, become pure. They had to have the, the um, the paraduma, 
the ashes and water, the paradumas sprinkled on them, and then they had to be lifted up, and they had to be waved. There was a whole wave offering. Who lifted them up and waved them? Um, Aaron. Aaron. And he was like 85. Yeah. Whoa. We're told that he picked everyone up and he they, they did a wave offering. I'm just like huge cones. <laughs> <laughs> he was about 85 years old. He was... Um, he was somewhere in there. Yeah, 80, I think exactly 85. He was in that age, right? No, he's exactly 85. It's unbelievable. Which is very interesting. Oh, 85. The 85 letter is here. He's like a living book. That is interesting. That's actually with the song. He doesn't connect it to Aaron. But uh, maybe when we get there, I'll say it's, a, it's an unbelievable slumber. There's two, two nuns, both, both Aaron <clears throat> and Cohen end with nun. Right. Right. And then you have the upside down nuns, <laughs> inverted nuns, of all connected. Okay, so <clears throat> Levim are considered Gevura. When you talk about Cohen and Levi, Cohen always represents Chesed, and Levi always represents Gevura. Now it turns out that Kohanim come from the tribe of Levi. So it's like Sfirat Omer, you have Chesed Sheba Gevura, Gevura Sheba Chesed. So Rabbi Ginsburg explains that's why the beginning of the consecration of the Levim is happening in the first Parsha, because the Levim became Levim because of their Gevura. In other words, if you remember with, with Shechem, and also with uh, wanting to kill Yosef, it was Shimon and Levi. They were like fire, like serious gavura. But Levi, it was that gavura was able to be taken and and fixed. <clears throat> Shimon still had a problem, but the Levine actually became. The ser- really the servants in the Mishkan as a fixing as a fixing for their Gevura I'm trying to say it seems strange that the Kohanim are the ones that are offering the Korban notes which seems more Gevura there the Levim are singing which is, I don't know it sounds like it seems more Chesed it's ah. like the <coughs> Avoda the, the, seems to be opposite what they're Ah, so, could, so that could be exactly what their tikkun, as oh, as okay. Jonathan actually mentioned, because Aaron was ish chesed, but it was his chesed was a, a bit problematic. Okay. In other words, that when it came, he didn't have the gavur of Moshe to stand up to the people, so you could say that to bring the, the karbonot. That's the tikkun they needed. The Levim are Gevura. So what's the tikkun they need? Is singing as chasad. So that's exactly Rob Ginsburg's point, that the Levim, the consecration happens in the second Aliyah, which is Gevura. But it starts in the first one because that Gevura needs to be sweetened with chasad. Okay, so we, I mean, we can go deeper into it, but I want to make sure that we get get through the whole thing. And actually, we, we learn from Rashi here <clears throat> the idea of the singing. Because it says, 
if I can find, uh, here it is, in Tet Zion. It says, Ki netunim netunim heimali betoch b'nei Yisrael. Because they are netunim netunim, given, it says it twice. They are totally given over to me from the midst of B'nai Yisrael. This is God speaking. So Rashi obviously has to ask, why does he have to say Netunim twice? So he, very beautiful, he says, Netunim l'masa, Netunim l'shir. They're given over to carry, and they're given over to sing. And, I mean, this is, this is the Rashi, because it doesn't say, someone please correct me, if I'm wrong, but it doesn't say explicitly in the Chumash about the Levim singing. I don't think it actually says it explicitly that that's their avoda in the temple. It's, it's the oral tradition. But here we have Rashi finding it like an asmachta in the text. Netunim, Netunim. Ah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, in the Chumash, like I say, you know, maybe it will pop into my head that there is a Pasuk, but off the top of my head, I don't know of an explicit, it says that they, Levim, are the ones singing by the Karbonot. I don't think it says that. So that Rashi tells us they're given over, so here you have the Gevur and the Chesed. And that's why their consecration spans both the first and the second aliyah. Okay, the third aliyah is all about the command to keep Pesach in the Midbar, and then the whole incident of Pesach Sheni, when uh, I think it's something to say it's just two people perhaps it was more, uh, were tame, were impure, and they were not allowed to bring the Pesach offering. And so they complained to Moshe in a positive sense, like, we were doing a mitzvah, there were different opinions why they were tame, but everyone agrees it was because they were handling a dead body. And so they were doing a mitzvah. And so they complain, how could it be, we're doing a mitzvah and, we, and now we can't bring the Pesach offering. And as we've discussed many times before, in response, Moshe didn't know the answer. So he goes to God and God says, we're going to give him another chance, Pesach Sheni. So we've discussed Pesach Sheni a number of times. <coughs> so I'm not going to go into that. But this is Tepiyat. So the question is, why is it to ferret? So we're told that the inner light or the inner uh, force of to ferret is rachamim. If anyone uh, learns any of Rob Ginsburg's uh, teachings, he has developed a whole, a whole idea of what's called the inner dimension of the spirit. And it's basically he just takes from 
all Kabbalistic teachings, but I don't know of anyone else who actually put it together like he did, and that each of the Svirot has an inner, uh, he calls it a motivational force. It's, it's very much on a psychological person level. So the inner light and dimension of Tiferet is Rachmi, compassion. And so the, the connection here is that, in a sense, the whole meaning of Pesach Sheni is everyone has another chance. Remember, it says anyone who is too, anyone who is impure or too far away. <clears throat> and on the word far away, there's a dot, even in the Sefer Torah, which is telling us, well, there's, there's an oral tradition here. Well, what is this dot here? And so the, the rabbis darshan that it's, that dot is to tell us, well, how far away do you have to be? So some said from Modi'im, that's where Modi'im appears in the Mishnah, from Modi'im and outwards, if you were farther than Modi'im in a circumference, the day before Pesach, and you didn't make it to the temple, you can bring Pesach Sheni. But if you were inside, so you have no excuse. You're, you're close enough that you can make it. But the other, the other opinion is from like the the, uh, the Azara and outward, which is even a greater level of compassion. Because of Modi'im, it's based on the Bartanur explains. He says because from Modi'im to Yerushalayim is a less than a one-day donkey ride. So someone could get up at dawn, get on his donkey, and be in the temple in enough time to bring the, the, the Pesach offering. So what excuse does he have? But the other opinion is, you could be like on Betzalel Street, and you didn't make it? Okay, you have another chance. Meaning, and everyone has another chance. Anyone's from the, from the, the Azura, inside the temple, if you're, if you're like standing at the Kotel, you can bring Pesach Shani. You didn't, you didn't make it to inside. So this is the compassion, this is the, the Teferat, this is the Rachamim of Pesach Shani. It's a Gavav. What's the Hebrew word that has the in it? Um... Rechokah. I'll tell you which verse it's in. Here it is. It's in um, Yud. Tet Yud. It says, "Kiyet Tamei Lenafesh, O Bederach Rechokah." On the hay of Rechokah is a dot. And this is not just an oral tradition in the Sefer Torah itself. Many of these things. These remezim are not in the Torah. But this one is in the Torah. Okay, so then the next aliyah, 
Ravii. Ah, so this is now B'nai Yisrael is given the instructions of when to move. When the cloud lifts up, they move. When the cloud rests, they rest. And also here is the uh, making of the trumpets and the commands about when uh, the trumpets and the shofars are blown to gather people together, time of war, when the camp moves. There are different signals. Now today, dial 100 to get the police and 101 to get the fire and 102 to get Bezek or whatever it is. So they had, you know, if the shofar is blown in a certain way, you know that there's danger. On Wednesday there's going to be a siren and everyone's going to have to go into their Miklatio. Oh yeah? On Wednesday? Yes. Uh, one of the trolls, uh-huh. So here also. I live in my Miklat. My office, that's where my office is. I, and my computer. <laughs> the chances I'll be in there are very, very good when the siren goes off. That's where I live. A little Miklat. <laughs> okay, so this is... Netzach. And he explains that, first of all, of the Ushbizing, the Roim, who is connected Netzach? David is Malchut. Moshe. Moshe is Netzach. So here, Rashi tells us. When he gets the when Moshe gets the order uh, to make these trumpets, it's specifically to Moshe, and we're told that they were they were put away, they were hidden after Moshe. Moshe was the only one who had these particular trumpets, and these trumpets represent. Netzach, victory. Because very shortly, uh, in the next one, see this is all preparation for in the next Aliyah, they're moving. So this is the camp getting ready to move. And I remember last year, we spent the whole, cl- we spent the whole class on these 85 letters last year because what was supposed to happen right here when they broke camp they were on the way to Eretz Yisrael that, that's, they were going straight into the land and then by the end of the Parsha they start they're complaining and complaining and complaining and next Parsha is Shlach Lachan they sent the spies and the whole thing, and they ended up spending 40 years. But according to plan, they are about to march into Eretz Yisrael. So this is the Netzach. And these trumpets, um, actually even, um, it's brought down by, again, Rav Sadia Gaon. You'll find this in Arch Scroll. Uh, 
he brings ten kavanot before the blowing of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. There's ten different things to think about, all based on verses, showing the meaning of the shofar through all these different... No, they're not all in verses. Almost all of them are verses. And one of them he brings is that when a king is coronated, it's done in accompaniment with the blowing of shofars. And just like in you know all the shofar um, well by Sadhu Gaon because he's, he's showing the but it's also that that's the meaning of these trumpets, right? In other words, it's it's, it's kingship. But on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu of Netzach. The fifth Aliyah. So here they actually break camp and they begin to move. And in and they're on their way to Eretz Israel. And Moshe turns to here he's called Chovev, his father-in-law, Yitro. But here he's called Chovev. And he says, we're going to Eretz Yisrael, come with us. God has good things in store for the Jewish people. And Chovev says, no, I'm going back to my, my people. And I believe Rashi... Or the Midrash bring that he wanted to go back to try to negayer them, but the the idea here is this is Hod, the fifth Aliyah is Hod, and so the Netzach is the preparation for the marching. Netzach and Hod almost always go together. And the actual marching is in Hod. Hod means many, many things, but one of them is glory. So here, the camp um, breaking and marching with the Degalim and the clouds of glory and the Mishkan in the middle. And like This is like... Right? This is, yeah, this is like the glory of Israel and the glory of God. It's like, but, he, but Rav Ginsburg mentions another thing, that, that Yitro is, uh, in a sense, um, like the first convert. That's why the Ten Commandments are given in Parshat Yitro. That in the future, the, the Torah will be meant for the whole world. And the root of the word Yehudi is Hod. So many times Rav Ginsburg says that of all of the spirit, obviously they're all important, and they're all uh, in, in their different contexts uh, are supremely important, but he said that on a call it like a gut level, the, the one that is closest to the neshama of a Yehudi is Hod.
because the word Jew itself, Yehudi, is, is, comes from this word, which comes from the word Yehuda. And it's explicit that Leah says, um, uh, This time I will praise God. So the whole concept uh, that's why the first thing in the morning, the first word out of our lips is moda, anilafanecha. Moda also comes from the root of hod. So he says that the all the things that go along with hod, glory, thankfulness, praise, um, confession, all of these things have to do with the like, essence of a, of a Jew. So he explains that that's why in the fifth Aliyah you have this whole conversation with Moshe and his his father-in-law. And especially according to Midrash, he wanted to go back and, and make other Yidin. Okay, the sixth Aliyah is Yisod. And the first thing in the Aliyah are these two sentences that we've been talking about. In other words, they've just broken camp, they're marching. Moshe says, we're going to Eretz Yisrael. Come with us. And then all of a sudden, what's interesting is that from first glance, it appears to be in its right place. When the Aaron would travel, well, that's just following what's happening. But the Gomorrah says, why are these two nuns? And I'm just going to show you, just in case you've never seen them. Here's the one nun, and it's in a safer Torah. This is one nun, and this is the other nun. And it brackets these two verses. That was so that at least two letters in the Torah would be readable for the Yemenites. So they're reading upside down. They should read the books too. <laughs> so it appears. So it appears. That it's in its right place, but but the sages say, why is it bracketed? To teach us that it's not in its right place. It's not in its right place. So what what do they mean? What do they mean? According to the Gemara, where this really belongs is in Parsha Bamidbar, when we were getting the instructions for who camps where and the flags. That's its natural place. Which it's like a drush but here again you read it, if you didn't know any of this, you 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 would yeah, it's exactly in its right place. So they say, so why isn't it in its right place? So they say it's like, it's like really one of these drushes to divide between complaints. 
Because what follows this? Yeah, a couple of a couple of complaints. But then you say, well, wait a minute. So then it should have gone, let's see, in Shvi'i. What complaints before? You don't see any complaints before. So the Gemara says, again, it's like, it's, it's, it's not a, a million percent clear why they have to make this drusha here. They say is that because when we left Sinai, as we were just commanded, we were, we were in the Midbar of Sinai for a year. We hadn't moved. So it, it explained, the, the, the Midrash explains that when they got the, the, the call to move, it was like, wow, are we glad to get out of here. We Are we glad to move on? But not in the sense of like, Oh, are we glad to go to Eretz? It was more like, like this, this has been a heavy year, and like, like we want something different. And you don't see it in the text at all. It doesn't appear anywhere in the text. But that's what the sages say, because, again, because if you look at the text, it's like, between what complaints? So then they had to come up with a second Russia. So it's, it means a lot of eon to understand what, you see, there's no doubt by putting it in these brackets here that a drush is needed. Because if it was in totally in its own place, what's, what's the point of, of the brackets? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they infer like the idea of what you're saying about like, oh, wow, it's time to go, or, or the machloket of this. In the fact that that Moshe himself tells his father-in-law to come along, the great things are going to happen, and he says he doesn't want to come. So there's some kind of like, wow, we're going to Israel, but okay. not everybody's really coming. Okay. Maybe that's what they say. No, that's very. No, um, they don't bring it from there. But that, that's a very nice drasha. Really, that's a very, very nice drasha, and uh, not that I know of. You know, there might be some midrash that, that brings it in. It's but, interesting that in the Gemara they say up until like the time of I forget Shimon Shetaf or something that they said there were no machlokot. No, so I mean all these the, they don't even consider these machlokot. Right, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Unbelievable. It reminds me of the halacha uh, of you're not allowed to run out of shul. You're allowed to run to shul. Mm-hmm. You should really walk out of shul so they don't right. feel like you're running away. Right, right, right. So that's probably, it might even be based on this midrash. Yeah. Like Chazal says, like Shabbat too, that you want to feel like your Shabbat is lingering. You don't want to rush it out to be like, oh, I can't wait to get back to work. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. exactly. Yeah. It might even be from this, that, 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 that's based that's on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the truth is, I don't want to go in into this all day. Like I said, last year we spent the whole class on it and, and, and also the significance of the nuns. Why not samachs? Why not ayans? Why not reishas? Why nuns? But that will save for another year. So here, but what, what we want to understand tonight is what's the connection with Yisod? So Rav Ginsburg explains, so first of all, in this Aliyah, it begins with and when the Ark would travel. 
And then it starts with the people are complaining. And it says, okay, so before we do that, first of all, Rav Ginzer points out that in many cases, the Aron is called Aron Habrit, the Ark of the Covenant. We said in, I mean, in English it's used all the time. Aron Habrit. Brit is always Yisod. Brit is always connected to the Surah of Yisod. Then he explains, so then right after it says, Vayahiya am kemit onanim ra be'inei Hashem. That the people were like complainers um, and complained, uh, um, had evil complaints in, in the ears of God. So Rav Ginzer points out that in the Zohar, anytime it says ra, it's an allusion to Pagama Brit. It's an allusion to um, some kind of uh, sexual um, problem. And that's, that's learned, I'm trying to think, it might be the first time, no, it isn't the first time. The first time the word Ra appears, Etzadat Tova Ra. Okay, so there we know from all the Midrashim that there's a whole level of sexuality involved in that whole story. The second time is by Noah, where it says that God wanted to wipe out the people because uh, the people were thinking Ra the whole day long. And we know that, that two of the major sins we're told that brought on the flood was uh, gazelle stealing and um, sexual perversion. And then you have by um, the two sons of Yehuda with, with Tamar. And it says that they did ra and there we're told that he didn't want to impregnate her. So that's what the Zohar is picking up on. Is this that? So that's what Rav Ginsburg brings here. It says that they were complaining of uh, of evil. So he he connects that with the whole thing of Pagama breed, because here what is happening in Shishi? So. They, they, they have, and in fact, it even says, um, this is an a, amazing thing. Yeah, so it says, um, the Ha'as, uh, okay, in Dalad of Yudalef, it says, the Ha'asaf Suf Asher Bekirbo, Hit Avu Ta'aba that it's usually translated the rabble in the midst of the congregation had a it's literally desired a desire this is a double language hit avu ta'aba instead of using just a verb it's like they had a desire 
to have a desire. So again, this is also, and it uses the word ta'aba, which is not used that many times in, in the Chumash. And usually the word has uh, negative connotations. And in many cases, it can also connect it to sexuality. Here, it appears more like food. But this is something that the Sonoma brings all of the time. Where he says, uh, it was, it's a teaching from, I believe, the Shlach HaKodesh. When he was blessing his son, I think before he got married. And he, in this letter, he said, um, a, 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 a man or a person has two taivas, sexuality and food. He said, if you can get a handle on those two, you'll be in control of everything. If you can get a control of those two things, then you can be a, a, a master and not a slave. So this whole this whole parsha is just the people like they were just taiva driven and. That's interesting in the shlach because uh, in Rosh Hashanah, everyone has this mitzvah of reading the shlach's uh, tefillah. Yeah, for the for children. Her having yeah. holy children. Yeah, yeah. It was like he must have had some insight into tikkun habrit. Mm. And actually, what does the shlach stand for? Shnei luchot habrit. That's the name shlach. Shnei luchot habrit. So, what Ginsburg explains is. This whole Aliyah is connected to yourself. Okay, and then the last one. We did it. The last one is Malchut. So what happens in Malchut? Okay, so the main thing that happens in Shvi is Moshe, excuse me, Aaron and Miriam complain about Moshe uh, having taken this wife. So how is it explained? And they say, you know, God spoke to us also. And then God comes and uh, explains that with all due respect, but Moshe is different than everyone. Is different than you and different than all future prophets. I speak to him face to face. And he perceives my will not in, in pictures and not in allegories, but exact, exactly my will he perceives. And, and also, it's explained that Moshe is the most humble. This is this is where it appears that Moshe was the most humble person on the face of the earth. So, how does this connect to Malchut? So, first of all, we have to understand that that Aaron and Miriam had a good intent here. And in fact, 
there's a way to learn this is what we almost learned tonight is that all the complaints in this Parsha and in many of the other Parshas in Bamidbar it's not so much the complaint as how they complained in other words there are other places where the people said we have no water to drink and God says to Moshe give them water hit the rock speak to the rock doesn't say that God got angry so so we have we have to see that there's there's a qualitative difference in the complaints and the Sonoma Rebbe talks about this he said it's not it's not so much that they wanted meat not, nothing wrong nothing wrong with wanting meat but what, what, how do they say it? All we have, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, all we have is this lousy man. And we're sick of it. That's, that's where the whole thing went. You know, there's instead of like, this man is very good. <laughs> but it would be very nice to have some variety in our diet. <laughs> so most likely God wouldn't have been upset, or Moshe wouldn't have been upset. But they said, all we have is this man, and we're just, ugh, we're tired. So, Miriam and Aaron, they had a very good point. They had an excellent point. And the point was, is that Moshe had separated from his wife. And uh, they were saying, Moshe, you're the leader. This is not the proper example. That's not, and the truth is, they were absolutely right. Moshe is a Yotzi Minaklai, a total exception in this regard. Last time she did it, she got praise for it when she said it to her father. Mm-hmm. Explain. She, her father, separated from her mother, and and she said, "Paro is only trying to kill the males, and you're." Not giving birth to female right, right, right. by separate right. by keeping separate. Right, right. Right. Okay. And right, you're right, you're right, exactly right. So that's so what I said. Right. He said that the Kavana was the right Kavana. In other words, they didn't understand and that's why God comes and explains to them. You have to understand Moshe is just he's just in a, a different league altogether. He's just he's just totally in a different league. So his rules are a little bit different. But again, obviously there's something in their complaint. Well, you know, God speaks to us also. Like Moshe, like you're not you're not so, you know. And that's why the Torah comes in and says, here it's almost like a, also like a parenthesis. And Moshe was the most humble person on the face of the earth. Meaning that Moshe himself would never even think of answering them back. He himself would never say, I hate to say, not hate, I just, I need to inform you, or you might find this hard to believe, but he couldn't, he, he had nothing, he couldn't say anything. Because in Moshe's own eyes, that's, that's what we're explaining his humbleness, Mo, Moshe knew that he was great. He knew he was the leader. But it's explained, what was his humbleness? He always felt that if, if anyone else would have been given the 
the wisdom. He didn't think my wisdom. If anyone else would have been given the wisdom that I received, they would have, they would do so much better. And that's why at the burning bush it was shalach biyati shalach. Like send by anyone else because anyone else can do it better than me. Okay, so how is this connected to Malchut? That's our, our purpose here. So, again, and I, I really urge everyone to really learn these 13 inner dimensions of the Spirit, according to Rav Ginsburg. The inner dimension of Malchut is Shiflut, a sense of existential lowliness, humbleness but in a very deep and essential way. And we've talked about this actually many, many times. That's very paradoxical. Because Malchut is kingship, leadership, strength, victory. And yet the inner dimension is an existential state of humbleness. So that's why this Aliyah is like, Malchut par excellence because here we have the text like the proof text of Moshe's great humbleness is, is, is right here and at the same time God shows why he is Malchut he's in a league of his own ok so the, we actually did it we got through all the Aliyot um, you came in last, but what we, what we did is we went through the seven aliyot and explained how they relate to the seven spherot. But the beautiful thing is that theoretically we could learn all of the parshas like this. So here we, we began by saying that it's connected to structure. So Rob Ginsburg was trying to teach that as amazing as it is, that within each parsha, there's an inner essential structure of the seven spherot in order, going through the parsha. Just like it's, it's an amazing, and obviously, he thought it a big enough chiddush that he spent the whole year in giving over all these parshas. Notice to make the point that there's 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 really this phenomenon there. As I said, sometimes you know you have to, it is a little stretch, but as far as I'm concerned, tonight it's like wow, it's like not stretched at all. It's just like each one is just right there, right there. Anyways, we should have the bracha this first week after Shavuos. This is like a new way to look at the Torah. new way to look at the Aliyot. So we should all merit this year to reach new insight and um, new inspiration for learning the Torah. Amen. 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 Thank you very much.